everybody. This is Charles with the Barbershop Group Podcast. I'm going to be your host for today. And today we're going to get the opportunity to talk to two individuals that um, have come on the scene um, with a partnership for the Barbershop Group. And it's really, really interesting how you can use the internet to reach out and set up a good network with individuals who are interested in doing the same work that you are doing. So, um, you know, a lot of times, guys, we, we talk about being able to provide you all with uh, with great uh, resources. We also talk about physical resources. And today we're going to get a chance to talk about both of those things, um, which is really, really cool. Right. And um, you'll be able to go online and, and look at a lot of these things uh, after you listen to the podcast. Hopefully it'll be very informative for you. So uh, we're going to jump right in and get started. Okay, so today, today I have with us uh, Dr. Daphne Watkins out of the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and uh, she is coming to us. She's coming to us uh, working. Uh, I believe it's uh, you are, you are the director of the social work program at Ann Arbor. Is that correct? I'm the former director of our PhD program. Yeah, that's gotcha. correct. Yes, yes. And I, I remember uh, seeing that, guys. You know, it's really funny. As we were beginning to do our our um, our canvassing and things like that for interviews and just kind of get the word out, uh, you know, Dr. Watkins, you're probably not even aware of this, but uh, I saw some work that you had done at the University of Michigan, and I reached out to a friend of mine who was a psychologist who graduated from the University of Michigan, and I said, hey, look, man, I'm not a Michigan guy. You are. Can you reach her for me? <laughs> and so it was a roundabout circle. And it's just, it's so funny how things uh, work out, you know, um, again, for a lot of individuals who I know and who know me, that I just believe in letting everything flow. And so it wasn't meant for us to reach out and uh, make contact with you then, but we have you today. So that is really, really good. Um, in addition, in addition to having Dr. Watkins on the show today, we've got Jody Frey. Now, Jody, you are in Maryland, is that right? That's correct. I'm at the University of Maryland as an associate professor there. You all are just doing some fabulous, fabulous work. And Dr. Watkins, um, we're going to touch on something that I know is very near and dear uh, to you. And, and don't let me forget about it, because I think that it's very, very relevant. You know, now, Dr. Walker, you have a specific focus, and I'm going to discuss that focus. But first, some general information uh, about Healthy Men Michigan and how that came about. And then we'll jump into some of those specific focuses uh, later on in the show. So, Jody, you know, you and I spoke before the uh, before the podcast about the person that I like to refer to as Ron Swanson. You know, you hear a lot of talk today about about um, toxic masculinity, competing ideas of manhood and, and, and things like that. And if anybody is familiar with Parks and Recreation, the TV show that comes on NBC, there's a character by the name of Ron Swanson who Ron has some trouble getting in touch with himself. <laughs> you know, he's uh, he's probably the typical white American working male, gun-toting, haunting, beer-drinking, hamburger-eating guy, right? And when you start talking about feelings with Ron Swanson, he looks at you like you've got two heads, okay? <laughs> and, Jody, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, the typecast that they developed. 
Um, you have been doing a lot of work to try to address mental wellness with that particular group. How did uh, you get started? What was what was like this, this the starting point where you figured out, you know, we're, we're missing these guys. We need to put something together. And how did it develop into this Ron Swanson kind of personification? Uh, that's, a, that's a great example to give and, and to think about some of the barriers actually to reaching out to men <clears throat> when trying to talk about feelings and, and mental health and well-being. So even before I was a researcher and, and professor, I did counseling work at, um, at NASA. I didn't work with the astronauts, but I worked in a male-dominated workplace. And I remember one of my first clients was an older white male, and um, you know he was really struggling with some depression and a lot of anger. Um, and some alcohol use. And he came in because his wife said, you know, if you don't seek some help, I'm out of here. I'm done. And um, so, you know, I was in my 20s at the time and he came in and he's like, um, you're going to help me kind of look like my daughter. But I, I said, well, I'm here to listen. You know, let's see where this goes. And we talked for a little bit and, and he shared a lot about how other people were doing. Um, and he finally said to me, okay, so you're recommending some counseling for my wife and I. That I, I am. I think that could be really helpful to work on communication and, and think about your relationship. And he said, so um, how many sessions of this marriage counseling before uh, you fix my wife? And I kind of was sat back and said, well, they didn't teach me that in the school of social work. Um, something mm -hmm. in the way that I've been trained as a mental health professional to communicate with the person sitting in front of me wasn't working. We were speaking two different languages. And um, I had to quickly learn on the job that, you know, some of what we're doing in the mental health world, what we think works is not getting necessarily to populations that are really struggling and, and at risk for poor mental health. And, and what I focus on a lot is suicide. So what got me into the Healthy Men Michigan project is that um, I'm on the National Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention in the Workplace Task Force. And our focus is on working age adults, trying to reach both men and women, um, but folks in their working age years that are not necessarily connected to traditional mental health resources and programs. And trying to think of innovative ways because the messaging and the marketing that mental health professionals use just isn't reaching all segments of our population. So we were, we're taking a look at, well, how can we get out into the community? If someone's ready to seek help, um, if they want to take an online screening like the one we're doing at Healthy Men Michigan, it needs to be available right away. We, we can't wait for someone to call and make an appointment and maybe show up, maybe not show up. We have to be responsive 24-7. So, so that was the beginning of this. Um, but then we also are partnering with an organization called Cactus. And um, they're out in Colorado and created mantherapy.org. Um, yeah. And we have the, the fake doctor that you're um, referencing from Parks and Recs. His name is Dr. Rich Mahogany. Right. He's a man's man. Um, yes. You know, he was designed based on research. It was, uh, we, we met with men, you know, Cactus and, and Dr. Sally Spencer Thomas out in Colorado and a few other folks did focus groups and interviews and said, what's it going to take? to get you to talk about mental health and feelings and, you know, not look at us like we grew three heads. Right. Some of the things they wanted were, they wanted, you know, they wanted stories of hope and recovery. 
Yes. They wanted to see men that look like them, that were struggling, that weren't seeing mental health problems as a weakness. Mm -hmm. um, they liked the connection of taking care of your brain is like taking care of your body. Right. So that equi equivalency of mental health and physical health was really important. Yes. Um, they didn't want to just take medication or go to counseling. They wanted other options. Like what are some some things that we can do that will help our mental health and well-being like fishing or cooking or exercising, being more active. And then, you know, one of the last things they wanted, which kind of threw us for a loop, Charles, was they wanted it to be funny. And um, now I tell myself as someone that has a good sense of humor, but I'm not a comedian. I'm a mental health clinician and researcher. So the mental health field is not necessarily known for telling jokes and being funny. And suicide prevention uh, even more specifically, is um, even harder to make funny. So that's where mantherapy.org came, is that you know we were trying to take a different approach and use all the stigma and, and the, the macho and, and all the pieces of you know barriers to men that often prevent them from seeking mental health, but to use that to our advantage to try to engage men in a conversation differently. And that's what we're looking at with um, Healthy Men Michigan. I don't know how many mental health professionals you've talked to, Charles, or your the audience here, but we're not that funny, especially <laughs> when we talk about suicide. Right. So that was a, that kind of threw everybody for a loop, you know, that we knew that men in their middle years were at increasing risk for suicide. And we also, we, we sometimes call them the double jeopardy group because not only are they at higher risk, but they're harder to engage in traditional right. help-seeking behaviors. So yes. um, Cactus, the organization that I work with really closely on the Healthy Men Michigan campaign, is a marketing and a communication company. And they worked with mental health experts to have the right messaging and safety mechanisms built in, but to basically use a humorous approach to engage men. Mm -hmm. The idea is let's get out there in the community and promote some of the online programs that we know are working to get men talking about their mental health, talking about suicide when they're at risk. And my study in Michigan is designed to test, does this type of intervention for men actually make a difference in saving lives? Because yeah. um, I know some of your listeners are in Australia where Dr. Rich Mahogany has a, a cousin from the land down under. Um, <laughs> they actually have a program down there that's been launched and it's really successful and popular with men, but we're just now testing, does this actually help men to engage in, in supports that, that prevent suicide? And um, in Michigan, we're doing the statewide campaign for healthymenmichigan.org, where men can go on any time of the day, any day of the week, and take a free screening. They won't necessarily see Dr. Rich Mahogany from Man Therapy unless they're invited to the project and assigned to that group, because um, right. we're testing it out. But they'll see a lot of flavor from Man Therapy on our Twitter and our Facebook page, where mm -hmm. we're, you know, reminding men about different ways to take care of themselves, reminding them of risk factors, but in a way that, that meets them where they are and, and helps them to feel more comfortable getting closer to talking about feelings and emotions um, and resources that while they do include counseling, it's not always counseling. Right. So I think it's really important that men are able to identify uh, with helping professionals, right? And that's just, that's a recurring theme. We're hearing it like gay men, gay men want somebody who can relate to them. Mm -hmm. um, African-American men want somebody who can relate to them. 
working white males want somebody uh, who can relate to them and speak the, the, the idioms that they speak. Um, and so for a long time, therapy was associated with, uh, with women. It was associated with being weak. And now uh, the perspective is changing a little bit. At least men are becoming more open. Uh, but Dr. Fry, so we, we, we've talked about uh, Ron Swanson, if you will, and, and that caricature. But um, how, what are you all doing to reach individuals who may be a little bit different than, than Ron Swanson? You know, he's an older guy. And I know that for our audience, we have a lot of guys who they don't want to be like their dads. You know, they aren't gun toting. They aren't out fishing. They aren't tough guys. So uh, what are you doing to reach out to that particular group? Yeah, it's a great question. So the way the Healthy Men Michigan org campaign works is that we partner with organizations throughout Michigan from Detroit all the way up to the UP. We yes. have probably over 250 organizations that are actively promoting Healthy Men Michigan, not necessarily man therapy, which is mm -hmm. what we're testing. Right. Um, and the Healthy Men Michigan campaign has been attracting men really all ages. Our research study focuses on 25 to 64, but we still have younger men and a lot of women coming to the site to do the screening. Um, we've done some, some outreach, you know, particularly this month um, with Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, we try to connect to national awareness days and months that are going on with our partners to have relevant and, and culturally relevant messaging related to screening and mental health and well-being. And so while the intervention we're testing may or may not be the, be the end all to everybody, I, I doubt that it will resonate with, you know, all, all different types of men. Um, you know, the Healthy Men Michigan campaign is much broader. And so yeah. we actually do have, you know, you mentioned the barbershop. We actually have a number of men that are finding out about the campaign from barbershops. Yes. Um, so we've been doing an active push to really get out there in the community where men, um, congregate, you know, where they mm -hmm. talk, where they meet, um, whether it be faith-based organizations that we're partnering with, employers, fraternities, um, as well as some of the, the fishing and boating clubs. Right. And when I look at the, the, the demographics of who's coming into our screening, it actually is very representative of Michigan overall, um, right. in terms of race and age, but also in geographic locations for men that are in rural and more agricultural industries um, to men who are in some of our cities throughout the state. So, so we feel like the messaging needs to be um, specific and really and targeted for men, but also needs to be broad enough that men from a lot of different backgrounds and experience can feel like this is a place where I could go for some information and maybe some help. And, yeah. um, you know, just to, uh, just to give you an idea of who's coming, you know, for men in our our demographic in our age group, 25 to 64, that are taking the screening, 60% um, are screening at risk for either suicide or, or very severe depression. Um, That's pretty high. That's pretty high. Very high. Yes. And a lot of these men are not connected to any health and mental health resources. So something is, something's clicking that at least men are now engaging in that initial step, that conversation to say what's going on and getting that information and resources of where they can get help. And, and we're partnering with folks like Dr. Watkins and her program to, to reach out even more in depth to um, 
you know, men that may be at the younger age group that she's been working with, um, men of color, um, and, and we do that with other organizations as well. Yes. Nice. Nice. So, you know, you talked about Healthy Men Michigan and partnering with other agencies. And that, that's a great segue because, you know, Dr. Dr. Watkins, you are you are associated with uh, with a program that is specifically targeting uh, younger African-American males. And we do have quite a few listeners who are um, who are younger African-American men who are now saying, you know what, something's off. I'm dealing with a whole lot of stuff, and if I don't get help, I'm about mm -hmm. to pop. You know, uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the work that you uh, have done with um, with the Young Men's Program, and uh, and and just kind of what some of the what some of the early results have been for sure, you? Sure, sure. So, um, yes. Yeah, so, in my throughout my career, I've I've really only focused on young black men, which has been really interesting to be a mm -hmm. woman who studies uh, men. And uh, I came up yes. with the Young Black Men, Masculinities and Mental Health Project in 2008, I believe is when I conceptualized the idea because at that point I had gotten to a place in my career where I had done a lot of research, you know, done a lot of uh, focus groups and interviews and surveys with men and became really interested in that sort of younger emerging adulthood age group because I just didn't see a lot of research that had been done prior to my work that actually focused exclusively on black men. And so what the Young Black Men Masculinities and Mental Health Project is, is it's a culturally sensitive and very gender specific program that's really uh, aimed to help us understand and address the pressures uh, that black men specifically experience, especially pressures that tend to be related to their mental health, their masculinity or manhood and, the, and social support. And so, um, that's really what I focus on right now. And certainly the project, it's called the YB Men Project, which is much easier and shorter to say than, than, than the longer title. But um, we use social media, we use Facebook as a way to really kind of expand the work that we do. Um, and I, we found over the years, and I, I think you mentioned this, that you wanted to know a little bit about the results. And we've been really fortunate to have some funders in the past and, and supporters who've been able to uh, support our work. And I think what has been really eye-opening about the work thus far is that a lot of the men that we speak to who tend to be between the ages of about 18 and 30, they talk about how no one has ever asked them about manhood or their mental health or social support. And so a lot of the work that we kind of have to anticipate when we go in and talk with these men is just really opening up the door to these conversations. And so while we don't necessarily consider ourselves e-therapy by any stretch of the imagination, or we're not really providing any kind of therapeutic services, we kind of see ourselves as being kind of in the middle, as sort of not necessarily wanting to work with the men who have these diagnoses by clinicians, but also not wanting to work so closely with the men who are not having any problems. So we kind of deal with the men who are right in the middle, who may be beginning to feel pressures or stress we're starting to just identify either them or their family members or friends are seeing something wrong and they want to begin to yeah. kind of pinpoint exactly what's happening. And so those are the men who tend to gravitate towards our program. Got you. Got you. And that's, and that's right in line with what we are finding as well with the barbershop group is that, you know, you're not talking about individuals who have been clinically diagnosed uh, with anything at all. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we find ourselves talking a lot about cultural mental wellness issues. Um, so, you know, not really, not coming from an environment where people uh, dealt with stress very well, even talked about stress. Um, coming from environments where uh, there was no defini- definition of trauma. Trauma was, was um, what do you call it, was normalized, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, or, or coming from disenfranchised places where, um, you know, you have a difficult time trying to differentiate between something that is pathological mm-hmm. uh, in nature because of your environment or family of origin and something that may be racist, yeah, right? Sure, uh, sure. And so, so having said that, uh, Dr. Watkins, um, you know, I, I, to, in today's time, I have to ask this question. If I didn't ask this, I wouldn't really be doing a service to the listeners. You know, a lot of young black men are expressing ideas of battle, having battle fatigue uh, when they're talking about racism today. Mm-hmm. You know, um, is that something that your program addresses at all? Absolutely. And that's one of the things I was thinking about just now when you were speaking. I was thinking about how much time we spend really tailoring and targeting the YBMN project to the specific men that we deal with, right? So this is not a cookie cutter program. You know, we're not saying, even though the program to date has really only been implemented with Black men, with every iteration that we've done, and up until this point, there's been five, we have spent months just really tailoring our materials to the specific group that we plan to work with. And so we do that because of things like battle fatigue, because of things like geographical differences and age group differences and cultural differences, right? Because we know not all Black men are the same, that they have different experiences based on income and family and school and you know um, jobs. So just so many different things that differentiate Black men from each other. So we're not treating them as a monolithic group by any stretch of the imagination. And so I think we absolutely have to do this tailoring every single time we do the project because we've just found so many differences, uh, stark differences in how the work needs to be implemented to really have a true impact with each group of Black men that we deal with. Now, I keep talking about the tailoring process. And I think one of the things that really makes the YB Men Project unique is that uh, we use popular culture references to actually implement our project. So lots of music and YouTube videos and movie references and sports. And so, you know, that kind of stuff changes daily. You know, if you have any connection to social media, you know, one week we are talking about LeBron James going to the Lakers and the next week we're talking about, you know, something else. And so we, my team, um, we spend a lot of time just really focusing on what is relevant, what is germane to this particular group that we're wanting to work with. And we incorporate all of that information into their specific iteration of the, the, the project. Awesome. That's, that's very, very good stuff. And it, it's, it's, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's really heroic. And I, I don't say that uh, in a bad way. It's really heroic because we're talking about groups of individuals who, uh, nobody's really had the conversation directly with them. You, you know, you talked about uh, someone saying uh, no one has ever asked. And a lot of times when I'm dealing with African-American 
uh, clients or just guys who are interested in learning more about addictions or mental health or what have you, we don't even start there. I just talk, start talking about life. And one of the things I always ask them is, hey, what's, what's something that you want to do with your life? And, and you'd be happy to do it, whether or not it made you money. It's just something yeah. you're really passionate about, right? And everybody looks at me and goes, uh, I, no one's ever yeah, asked me that. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's just yeah. like, what are you, what are you talking about? And then that leads to uh, other types of conversations that we that we can have. You know, where now we're talking about, you know, how you grew up and some of the expectations that you had, some of the expectations that may be being put on you right now that are difficult for you to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. uh, talking about life and lifestyle directions and stuff. And now it's like, whoa. And before you know it, they're like, dude, um, I need to go to therapy or I need to go talk to somebody, right? And it's just about those doing those things with some of these younger guys mm -hmm. that uh, help change directions. So it's really cool that that's going on. Um, and we, we definitely need to talk this up more. So I won't keep either of you uh, any, any longer, really. I do appreciate you all coming in today to, to talk to us. And we look forward to the ongoing partnership with you all. Different things are going on and we will definitely have to talk more about that as, at a later date. Okay. Now, before I let either of you go, you all are, are women working with men. Okay. And I, I want to ask this question too, because I get some guys who they're not really comfortable with this. Right. But, uh, and, and Dr. Fry, I'll start with you. What was it that really motivated you to, to look at men's mental health and wellness you know um because a lot of guys they'll say oh these women are just trying to change me into something they want me to be but dr fry talk to us just for a minute what motivated you to to get involved you know i think it i think when i first became a social worker and i had one of the the first job you know one of my first jobs at nasa that i mentioned earlier i was kind of thrown into a male-dominated workforce and um I realized I, I actually did really well with men <laughs> Both working wow. with them and, and working with them in counseling settings. So, you know, as I continued to look at, you know, who, who is at risk that we're just not paying attention to and, and what we're doing isn't working over mm -hmm. and over. I just saw men in my life struggling and suffering and they felt comfortable talking to me. So yeah. I kept with it. And, you know, as a wife, as a daughter, as a mom and a friend to many men, um, they're my reason why that I keep doing this work because yes. um, I want to take what we know in mental health and make it applicable to everybody. I, I don't want these barriers and stigma and, and um, cultural insensitivities to be um, forcing people into more isolation and not right. have a sense of connectedness and purpose. I want to somehow merge these worlds and, um, I, that that's kept me going is, um, you know, trying, trying to figure out how to get this to the men that I care about and, and the ones that I don't know, but I see that are out there struggling. Yes. Awesome. That's, that's, that's great. We appreciate that. And, and Dr. Watkins, for you, the same question, I pose it to you. What was it that motivated you to, to get involved the way that you have over time? My family, definitely mm -hmm. my family. You know, I've often heard people say that research is me search and 
I find myself really kind of living that life today, trying to yeah. search for understanding within myself. You know, as a child, I was always interested in gender socialization and why do boys have to follow these rules and why do girls have to follow these rules over here? And why can't they kind of jump across the gender rule lines, right? Can, can, can girls climb trees and play kickball? By all means, that was me, right? <laughs> that was that girl climbing trees and playing kickball with my older brother, you yes. know? But, um, but I always watch the men in my family. They just seem to, to struggle a lot with substance use and substance abuse and just identity issues around employment and um, who they are as men and definitions of manhood and things that were passed down from their fathers and grandfathers and great grandfathers. Yeah. And so for me as a, as a little girl watching, you know, my dad and my uncles and my brother and my grandfathers I always just wondered, you know, why does society hold men so tightly to these rules, but mm -hmm. yet women can kind of dance along those boundaries. And so for me, I often wonder, about, um, you know, what can I do as a researcher to help make men's existence in society a little easier, a little lighter? How can we change the narrative? How can we lighten up their rules a little bit so that they don't have to, you know, put on the mask every day before they walk out of their homes? Right. And so, yeah, I, you know, what's funny is being a woman, and I'm sure Dr. Fry can um, definitely kind of co-sign on this, but it's, it can be tough being a woman who studies men because <laughs> people always second guess, you know, your commitment, your passion and such. But, right. um, and I'm sure I can speak for her when I say this too. I think we wake up every morning and this is how we think. This is what we live and eat and breathe and walk. You know, we care about uh, men. And I often, I actually had one person tell me one day that uh, they didn't like that I studied men because studying men meant that I didn't care about women. Right. And I, and yeah. I, had, to, and I had to look them in the face and say, I actually <laughs> study men because I care about women. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, Dr. <laughs> Watkins, you know, it's, that you, it's funny you say that because I had an individual ask me once, they said, well, you know, you guys are doing all this work with the barbershop group. You're out there sharing your lives with people. You're talking about struggles and everything. Um, but like, don't you feel like you're supposed to do something for the women? Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was just like, wow. And this came from an individual who I just did not expect for that to, for that to come from. So I, I definitely hear, I, I get it. And I, I had to ask that question. Uh, I didn't want to be uh, assumptive, you know, but I figured that that would probably be uh, some of the experiences that you two have had. So guys, you have heard it. You know, uh, research is me search, right? <laughs> Getting to know ourselves. And uh, both Dr. Fry and Dr. Watkins have shared with you that, look, they, they weren't just nerds who were interested, right? They, they're real human beings who have family, family members who were suffering and they wanted to do something about it. So um, I do appreciate both of you all spending time with us today. And uh, we look forward to working with you all. Guys, if you enjoyed what you heard today on the Barbershop Group podcast, uh, you can go to www.patreon.com backslash the Barbershop Group make a contribution today. Guys, we know that the weekend is coming up. We hope that you all will be safe. Take care of your families and we will talk to you soon. Barbershop Group provides safe spaces for men to discuss issues of well-being and mental health. 
The Barbershop Group also serves as a resource to the community, providing consultations and public speakers through partnerships with attorneys, mental health professionals, family agencies, religious institutions, and other advocates. In the near future, the Barbershop Group seeks to renovate dilapidated residential and commercial properties in urban areas to create respite shelters for displaced men. We will also host mentorship retreats and workshops for young men and adults to foster growth through our Iron Sharpening Iron and our Rebuilding Men programs. In addition, we host a weekly podcast covering issues of mental health, homelessness, financial literacy, education, and leadership. If you would like to be a guest on our show, please email us at info at thebarbershopgroup.org. Visit our Facebook page or call 313-585-9948 for more information.